today we're talking from Galatians 5 uh, verses 1 to 15. We're a little bit out of order because um, we shuffled Daryl and I for reasons which became not that relevant, but never mind. So Galatians 5, 1 to 15. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, Jesus... Is that us, or is that someone out there? No, that's us. Um, <laughs> Great. Um, for through the spirit of faith we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole dump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord that you will adopt no other way. But the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbour as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So, um, the first thing that jumps out of me from, from that verse is in, chapter, is in verse 1 where it says, Stand firm. Keeping a solid belief in God is not easy and it doesn't just happen it's probably a good thing to converse with your christian friends on how do they stand firm how do they continue to believe in god when we look around us and for me it often seems that god's not doing all that much where i am he sort of called me there how do i stand firm in that how do i stand firm well part of that is i surround myself with other christians who believe it and struggle with the same things how do we how do we stand firm when the people we love suffer Maybe when we suffer. How do we continue to believe that God loves us? How do we continue to believe that we don't need to work when everything in us says, I need to earn, I need to do something to, to, pay, to pay God back? Because that's who we are, we're proud beings. We want to deserve what we're getting. We want to feel that. We probably don't really want to get what we deserve, but we'd like to feel that we deserve better. How do we stand firm? And it's not something anyone can answer. For some people, it's regular quiet times. For other people, it's singing Christian songs a lot. Others, it's Christian memory. It varies on all, for all of us. For some of us, it's just doing works that we think God would be proud of. Not because we have to, but because we want to remind ourselves that God came to serve and we want to serve. How do you stay firm in your beliefs? How do you hold on to the fact that God is good? that God loves us and that he gave his son for us. It's not something anyone can answer for everyone else. You can only answer it for ourselves. But I 
Commend it to you as a topic of conversation next time you're having dinner with someone who's a Christian. How do they stand firm? Give them the space to answer that question. And accept their answer. Don't judge their answer if it sounds a bit odd to you. Um, allow them to be themselves, because that's who they are. And Paul says it's going to take work. You're standing against the current, it always takes work. Now, this passage is talking about a particular time when circumcision, people saying you've got to adopt the Jewish law, and in this particular instance, the sign was very distinct. It was circumcision. It's not, not a, a big issue for us today, but the circumcision itself was not the issue. In verse 6, it says circumcision or no circumcision, it doesn't actually matter. It's the motivation behind that. So for us, it's a bit hard. What is our sign of abandoning God? For me, I would abandon God if I start getting really busy because I feel I've got to do it all the time. Got to be busy all the time. That would be my symbol. I mean, and it'd be quite acceptable. It's quite acceptable to be a workaholic in our culture. You get the church, you know, the church or work, get a lot of work out of me. That's a good thing, isn't it? And it is a good thing, except if I'm doing it to earn God's favour. But that's how I would do it. For some people, it's always saying yes to everything they're asked because they've got to be a nice person. Oh, yeah, I've got to say yes to that. I've got to say... I don't think the scripture teaches that at all. We don't have to earn our salvation. We do it out of a response. But sometimes that response has to be, no, I can't honour that commitment that I would make. And sometimes it's not the most loving thing to do is to give people what they want. As I shared before, but a friend of mine who was a drug addict wanted her stuff. And I had to turn him away from my house when he needed accommodation. Because that wasn't the, the loving thing wasn't to let him sleep on my lounge that day. The loving thing was to make him face the consequences of his sin. Didn't feel great. So it isn't circumcision, it's the motivation. What is our motivation when we're doing stuff? Are we doing it as a response to God? Or are we doing it because we think we have to? That if we do this, God will love us more. Or that we'll earn a bigger place in heaven or we'll even pay him back the cost. Communion is, is a memory job to remind us what the gift we have cost. Not us, but cost God. That's what we're remembering when we do communion. The cost of this free gift that we have. I would suggest you, you listen to yourself speak when you're trying to judge your motivation about things. How do you speak about the things you do? I have to go and see so-and-so. Instead of, yeah, I choose to do this. You know, I have to do my quiet times every day. Otherwise, the implication is, if I don't, I'm in trouble. Or, I find that doing my quiet times every day really helps me, so I want to do it, and I'm really disappointed when I don't. How do you speak about the things you're doing for God? How do you encourage people who are younger in the faith in their life? Do you say, you need to, you must, you have to do this as you're a Christian. You have to do this or that. Or do you say, I found it helpful when I was growing to do this. I found you might find it helpful as well. Do you mind if I share that? How do we talk to others? Now, it, it's easy to say for us that we know no fixed signs. When I got involved with the Sydney City Church of Christ, the cult that I was part of, they had very much a works-based faith. But they were very plain. If you don't get baptised by us, you're not saved. And my brother, who's not really a great theologian, they said it to him, he said, oh, so you're saying there's an action, that I've, there's a work that I've got to do to be saved. I said, no, 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 you've just got to be baptised. He says, and me getting baptised is a work. And he, 
And he's right. If you have to be baptised, then it's something else you have to do. It's something we're adding to salvation. Baptism is great. It's a great sign that we want to follow God. It's a confession of our faith. But I don't believe, and this might be a bit unbaptist of me, that it's a requirement for our salvation. And we can have an argument about that at some other stage. But certainly it's a helpful sign. But they, but they went further than that. If you weren't evangelising on the trains, if you weren't attending three Bible studies and weren't discipling people and trying to drag people in, you weren't really saved. And they'd come down on you with all sorts of penalties to push you, because they wanted you to be a faithful servant. But what they really wanted you to be conformed to their model of what a faithful servant was, because only people in their model were saved. Not true. And we can still see it around. Um, we possibly do it in a, in a kinder way sometimes. Have you done your Bible study? Oh, that's really disappointing. You haven't done that. <laughs> um, that doesn't mean occasionally we can't speak strongly to people about what they have and haven't committed. But we do need to give them the grace of saying it's not a requirement. God died for us. And the whole message of Galatians over and over again is God died for us and that's it. We don't need to do anything any further than that. But we should want to. Our response is, I've got this great gift and I want to share it with people. I've got this great gift and I'd like to encourage you in it to experience it more. But we're doing it because we want to share it. Like if I had a cure for cancer and it was a matter of giving it to you, I'd want to do that. I'm not poorer by giving it away. We're not poorer by giving our faith away. But we want to encourage people to do that. Now, you've got to watch your musts. What must you do in the faith? Because a little leaven leavens the whole dough. If you have a small requirement that you've in the back of your head you think you've got to do, soon you'll have two requirements. And then you'll have three or four. And you won't get there. They might be good things, but if you've made them a requirement, if you've made them an instrument that you have to do to be saved or to be faithful, then you're probably walking down the path of um, works-based because it's easy for us. I, well, certainly I want to feel that I've earned this. I want to feel that I deserve it. I want to feel God's doing me, not doing me a favour. That's, I don't know, That's maybe that's just me. But grace is the, as Paul says, it's the thing that people object to. The fact that they can't earn their salvation. That's the stumbling block of the cross. That we can't earn it. We're people. People want to earn it. People want to deserve it. So Paul uses some pretty strong words in uh, 12 about the person who's pushing this line. Um, if you suffer from the delusion that Christians always need to be nice and happy and polite, this verse is probably a real problem for you. Paul was wishing that this guy would actually join with the pagans because the pagans had pagan priests. Um, castration was a, a ritual that they would undergo. He's saying, well, look, just stop pretending to be a church member. Off you go, join the pagans. But he was using strong language. Sometimes strong language is actually appropriate. It's okay to get mad when Christ is belittled, when, when truth is not told. It's okay to be strong. It's not, allowed, it's not okay to let your anger guide what you do, but it's okay to be angry occasionally. It's okay to use strong language. It's okay to say no. It's okay to say, I don't believe that. Or I won't believe that, and if you're going to keep pushing that, I'm not going to talk to you. Because I don't want to be contaminated. Because it's very attractive to think that I could earn my way to salvation. 
sometimes we need to, if we want to stand firm, we need to push away those who will drag us down, even just, not direct, directly just by their example. Believing is hard. But sometimes sharing, spending too much time with people who've got stuff that we want or have a lifestyle, and we think, why can't we have that? We'll drag, can, could drag us down. But God says, you've been given this freedom, but how will you use it? That's his question. Will you use it to indulge the flesh? Will you use it to serve other people? As I thought about that, what does it mean for me as an individual, as the church? Does it mean for me that I'll hang out with the nice people rather than get involved with the awkward ones? Because it's a choice we can make. It's pretty easy in our life where you get in a car and you drive somewhere else. You can hang out with nice people and you can have prayer meetings and you can have fellowship meals and you can avoid the awkward people. Not a lot of people eat with me, so maybe I'm one of the awkward people. That's okay. Um, but I know there's a tendency in me to, avo to avoid the awkward people because it just makes life hard. It's, uh, it's a, sometimes it's a struggle. But am I willing to go that far because God put up with an awkward person, me, he went out of his way to meet me, am I willing to reflect that and spend time with other awkward people, even if I don't have any hope for them? Will we spend time enjoying ourselves, four-wheel driving, camping, playing sport, watching sport? Or will we spend some of that time contributing into the lives of others who are maybe not as blessed as we are, who maybe struggle with more things than we do? And that'll mean we'll miss out on stuff. You might not be able to go on that camping trip because someone needs some help. You won't be able to achieve all the things on your bucket list. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Or it shouldn't matter, but it does to us. It costs to serve people. Jesus exemplified what it costs to serve people. It can cost your whole life. And sometimes we look at the cost and say, oh, maybe I'll go and see them later. I've got something special on this people. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you always spend time with other people. Sometimes you do need to rest and recharge so you can do more. One of the things I like to comment on people is I don't want to overwork you because long term I get more work out of you if I don't push you to the edge all the time. If you've seen people who burn out, that's a very inefficient way to do your ministry because then you give up. And then there's a couple of years where you can't face ministry and after that couple of years you think, oh, I could probably face it, but I don't want to go there again. And it's hard. Setting a reasonable pace and allowing for the fact that you're human and you need rest and you need recovery times and your family needs you and you need them. It's quite all right to do that and allow for that. Because long term, you'll get more ministry. And we need to view for the long term. We don't know when Christ is coming back. It could be tomorrow, but it could be in 30 years. And will you still be ministering in 30 years? Are you pacing yourself for that? Paul says in another passage, it's like a marathon. When you run a marathon, you've got to be really careful not to go flat out for the first 10 kilometres. Because the last, the last 30 is a killer if you do that. But if you go at a reasonable pace, you've got much more chance of actually finishing that race rather than going, oh, I give up, I'll just get one, I'll just get a little medical bus and go back to the end line. It's not how it works. Are you set up and are you trying to reach the finish line by pacing yourself? That said, occasionally God will say, I oh, know, it's actually your time to run flat out. At some stage, God told Paul, 
set your face to Jerusalem. You're gonna you're gonna get in prison then. They're gonna they're gonna put you in prison. That's gonna be the end of your free roaming life. Do this, but that's not what God calls most of us to. He doesn't call most of us to work flat chat until we can't work anymore. He might call us, but it'd be very clear, I think, if he's calling us to do that. Short of that calling, I would advise us to pace ourselves. Know what you're doing, be careful of what you commit to, and make sure that you allow for the fact that you're 63 or 22 or whatever you're doing. Allow for your change in circumstances. It's okay. When I got married, I had to allow for the change in circumstances. I actually stopped doing youth group at 47. Because, not attending youth group, but actually running it. Um, because I had a ch- my life had changed and I needed to invest time in my wife. And abandoning her after she left her family to come here on a Friday night just wasn't appropriate. So the, we, we cannot, the other thing we can often do is we can isolate ourselves from struggle. And I'm, I'm big, quite guilty of this. There are people who struggle, sickness or mental issues that I can't help. And I don't think society can help. Sometimes the tendency is to just say, well, actually that's too hard. And so I don't, I don't seek them out. Or am I willing to draw the line and say, I will walk with you. I can't fix you. I can't fix the problem. But I'll walk with you through this time. Just as Christ has walked with me through times. Are we willing to walk with each other when we can't fix it? Maybe that's a male perspective. I read that males like to fix things, and if they can't fix things, they're not interested. Women are are quite more happy to talk about those things. I don't know. but Sometimes, at least for me, I've got to be willing to walk with people who are struggling, even when I can't actually fix the problem. Just walk with them in it. And so I question my, I have to keep questioning myself as I get older. Have I become self-absorbed? Am I too seeking my own convenience too much, seeking my own leisure? Because that's, com- that's what the world says. You're getting close to retirement. You should be putting your feet up. Plan those journeys that you haven't done before, you know, your world trip or whatever you're going to do. Although France is off the agenda at the moment, um, which is really sad. The, the state of the world is pretty sad. But. Our world says, you're getting close to retirement, you should be putting your foot up. Move somewhere nice, relax. Am I falling into that trap? But as a church, we need to ask that of ourselves. Are we becoming so absorbed with ourselves, looking after our own kids and our own well-being, that we've forgotten about reaching out of the community? What would the community, what would happen if this church folded tomorrow? Would the community miss us? Are we looking outwards or are we too too much looking inwards? When I was around 18, uh, my church had a little bit of, they're sort of growing in youth ministry and they thought, well, we're at the stage, we could probably use a full-time youth pastor if we could get one. So um, they found someone who's coming back to, to Australia and they invited him out to say, well, talk to us about youth ministry. You know, you're looking for a church to base in. Um, and this gentleman came out and said, look, I've got this real heart to reach into the schools and disciple people. And our eldership, to my shame, our eldership said, oh, gee, we don't really want to go out. So we want to look after our kids. We don't want to reach into the schools. So we're not going to get you. 
I was Roper Ball at the time, I was the leader of the youth group, and that, that's what they said. I couldn't understand how they could be so concerned with ourselves and not concerned with the people outside. That gentleman didn't hold it against the church, he discipled me, his name's Bill Hodson. He went on to lead a massive youth ministry up in Blacksland. And then about 20 years later, the church that I used to be part of asked him to come back and consult about the youth work. And I said to him, I don't think they realise they turned you down. He said, yeah, and I'd rather you didn't tell them. <laughs> but what's our concern? Where are our concerns? Is our concern for ourselves, or is it to reach out to the community? If it's to reach out to the community, how are we doing it? Do we have a plan to do that? Are we thinking we'll try and make the most of our Osh connections? Are we thinking we'll run, I don't know, giant things out on the lawn there or something? Are we going to door knock? What are we going to do? It's fine to have good ideas, but what are we going to do? Next term we'll be talking through James, and James is all about works coming out of our faith. If we have faith, we need to see something that we're doing. And we're a small group. I doubt that it'll be huge, but if we have a concern for our community, we need to exercise it. It's not just enough to have it in here. Unless we're doing something about that concern, well, it's just a nice expression. Uh, that is me from Galatians. Then, of course, it follows, Daryl's sermon follows on because it's how do we do that? Well, we walk in the Spirit. We open ourselves up, and sometimes that's like, as Kathy said, resting and reflecting, being and, and rooted, taking our time to think about what. Well, there's lots of things we could do for the community, but what should we do? Given who we are, what is our effective means of ministry? That requires reflection. What can I give to St. Clair community? Since I live in Mount Hood, I need to reflect on that. What can I realistically offer? What can the people who live in St. Clair offer? What can we as a church do? They're not easy answers. You know, we, we're not Salvation Armyists. We can't run a band every couple of weeks. That's not what we do. What is our expression of that love? And so hopefully we'll work through some of that in James as well. But we all need to be thinking of it. Because the ideas don't just happen in the eldership, they happen in you. The Spirit talks to you. It raises concerns for you, from you. And we're all different. Some of us are much more concerned about the way people feel. Others are more prone to organising things. Together, we can come up with a unique expression of love from this church to the community, which will hopefully touch the community to bring more people in touch with the gift that we've been given, shared in a way that they can understand. Okay, thank you very much. Um, that's us for today.